Our first uh, scripture reading is from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, both scripture readings today will be from the book of Deuteronomy. But the first is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'll be reading verses 1 through 5 and then skipping on down and reading verses 15 through 20. Uh, God speaking to the children of Israel. When all these things have happened to you, the blessings and the curses that I have set before you, if you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God and you and your children obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, just as I am commanding you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, gathering you again from all the peoples among whom the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if you're exiled to the ends of the world, from there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there, he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land that your ancestors possessed, and you will possess it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And skipping on down to verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. That means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And friends, this is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Our second reading, as I said earlier, is also from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. It's Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 12, which closes out the book. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beit Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. 
Joshua, son of Nun, full of the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him, and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'd like to begin by asking a question, a personal question. The question is this, how would you like to die? Well, as I thought about this week, I think I'd like to die in my sleep. Quiet, peaceful, without any pain or discomfort. But you know what? The more I thought about it, the more I thought maybe it would be appropriately good for me to die in the pulpit. (laughs) Doing the very thing that I'm doing now, which is preaching. This would bring new meaning to the phrase, killer sermon. (laughs) I had someone, one of those loving, supportive members say, John, you die in the pulpit every Sunday. Well, of all the ways to go, maybe the best way to go is the way that Moses went. First of all, he was 120 years old. And after giving a rousing speech to a sobbing nation of Israel, Moses makes this solo trek up to the peak of Mount Nebo. He spends some time conversing with God, and then he lies down and he falls asleep in the everlasting arms of God. And God takes Moses and buries him in an unmarked grave. When I was in Israel several years ago, we were not able to go and visit the grave of Moses because to this day, no one knows where it is. And the reason is, God did not want the people to turn the grave of Moses into a kind of shrine that would then distract their worship of God. So we've talked a little bit about dying, Now, how about your tombstone? I'm gonna show you some tombstones. If I were to give you a slab of cement, a hammer, and a chisel, what words would you put on your tombstone? Of course, what I'm really asking is, how would you like to be remembered? Well, I was searching on the internet this week, and I came across some actual epitaphs from real tombstones. So in a New Mexico cemetery, it says, here lies Johnny Yeast, pardon me for not rising. (laughs) In a Thurmont, Maryland cemetery, it says, here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. In a Georgia cemetery, one lady's tombstone reads, I told you I was sick. (laughs) And in a Uniontown, Pennsylvania cemetery are these words. It's a rhyme. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. Stepped on the gas instead of the brake. 
Well, if you haven't settled on an epitaph, or maybe even if you have, let me suggest one for you. It's the epitaph of Moses. And you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5. I read it earlier. It's very simple. It says, Moses, servant of the Lord. Did you know that there is not one place in the whole Bible where Moses is ever referred to as a leader? I've looked through my Bible concordance. I've looked on the internet on different word search programs, and there's not one place where Moses and leader are ever linked together. But time and time again, Moses is referred to as the servant of the Lord. In fact, as the curtain comes up in the book of Joshua, the first thing that God says to Joshua is, my servant Moses is dead. And so let me suggest an epitaph for you. It's the epitaph of Moses. Let me suggest that for you for your tombstone. You can take your hammer. You can take your chisel. Your name, the servant of the Lord. Recently, I went shopping for a new suit at Joseph A. Bank in Lancaster. In fact, I'm wearing it today. <laughs> and the reason that I bought it there was their suits are tailor-made for me. There was this woman named Teresa, and she came out and she measured my jacket size, 44 long. She measured my waist. Thirty-four, thirty-two. She helped me with colors and patterns. And then I went and I tried on the jacket and the pants. And I came out of the dressing room and then she put me in one of those tri-mirrors. You know, there's one in front of you and then there's one to the left, one to the right. And then she went to work. And I mean, she worked like an artist with a brush. She started marking up all the material on the jacket and the pants. She chalked over an X here and she put a line over here. And then she took the tape measure out from around her neck and she measured the sleeve length and, and the inseam on my pants. And somehow, somehow out of all that, I got a suit that fit me. Now, there is a big difference between buying off the rack and buying a suit tailor-made for me. You see, there's the coat length, the sleeve length, the cuff of the pant leg. See, just touching the top of the shoe. It's perfect. <laughs> tailor-made. Here's the point. Friends, I believe that God has a tailor-made place for you to serve him right here at Chestnut Level. God has especially prepared a place for you to serve him that is the right fit for you and then for you to fit in that right place. It was the late uh, Presbyterian pastor and author, Frederick Buechner, who said, the place to which God calls me is where intersects the world's deepest need and my greatest joy. So I'll ask you another question. What about you? Where might God be calling you to serve? For Moses, it was leading the children of Israel. 40 years, think about that, 40 years. They trusted that when they went to sleep at night, Moses would be up late, like, like a sentry guarding his post. And Moses led them and protected them and guided them and encouraged them through many dreary days and scary nights. And at 120 years old, it says his sight was unimpaired and his vigor was not gone. Now, some of you might be saying, well, John, that's fine for Moses, but, but nobody, nobody needs me like that. 
Oh, I beg to differ. Friends, you are needed in the same place where Moses was needed, and that is in service to God's people. John Wesley, who was a Methodist, said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, by all the ways you can, in all the places you can, and at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. And I believe that there are places in this church when you, where you can discover the joy that comes with serving God. So you too can carve in your tombstone, servant of the Lord. Now, another thing to notice is that Moses' tombstone does not say the servant of the people. It says Moses, the servant of the Lord. I was watching one of the presidential candidates' uh, debates recently, and through all the bickering and arguing and jockeying for the best sound bites, I found that many of these leaders' quest for success was to please the people. In other words, to give the people what they want to hear. Aaron, Moses' brother, was a lot like the leaders of the day. Remember the time that Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai and uh, he was praying and getting instructions from God. And meanwhile, the people rose up against Aaron and said, you got to give us a God. You got to give us a God. And Aaron consulted with his pollsters. They said, fine. And he gave the people what they wanted, or what they think they wanted, which was a golden calf. Moses would not have done that in a million years. He was a hero. And you know, you look around the world today, and heroes are in very short supply. The former Secretary of State, Winston Churchill, writing in the New York Times, tried to define a hero. He wrote, our age finds it difficult to come to grips with figures like Winston Churchill. The political leaders with whom we are familiar generally aspire to be superstars rather than heroes. The distinction is critical. Superstars strive for approval. Heroes walk alone. Superstars crave consensus. Heroes define themselves by the judgment of a future they see as their task to bring about. Superstars seek success in a technique for eliciting support. Heroes pursue success as an outgrowth of their inner values. And then he continued, the modern political leader rarely ventures to comment in public without having tested his views on focus groups, if indeed he does not derive them from focus groups. To a man like Churchill, the very concept of focus groups would have been unimaginable Thus, in the space of a generation, Churchill, the quintessential hero, has been transformed from the mythic to nearly the incomprehensible. We need to live as heroes before God. So this brings me then to the great tragedy of Moses' life, because this hero, this servant extraordinaire, is not going to enter into the promised land. The party is going to go on without him. You see, the stress eventually got to Moses, the pressures of leadership, food rations, the constant criticism, carping and complaining about all the things going bad in the wilderness, all that coming from the people, it took its toll. It simply wore him down. One day they arrive at a place called Kadesh Barnea, and they run out of water. 
and the Israelites attack Moses and Aaron. They even accuse Moses of deliberately creating the shortage of water to kill them off. So here is Moses, surrounded by a million people, and they're all yelling, we want water, we want water. And Moses doesn't know what to do. God says, Moses, speak to the rock and give them water. And it's at this point that Moses just loses it. He says to God, speak to the rock. I am surrounded by a million people ready to riot, and you want me to go, hello, rock? Instead, Moses takes his staff, and he smashes the rock, not once, but twice. Let me ask you, have you ever overreacted to a crisis? How well do you respond in crisis, stressful situations. Have you ever let your emotions drive a really important decision? Have you ever lashed back at your critics and then, and then regretted it? When we do those kinds of things, we turn a mohill into Mount Everest. We lose our credibility, we lose our integrity, and it cripples our effectiveness as leaders. People got their water that day but Moses is not going to enter into the promised land. As I was looking at the story, I found myself thinking, God, this seems so unfair to Moses. You mean, let me see if I understand this. Just because Moses hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock, that's why he doesn't get to go into a land flowing with milk and honey? And I have to tell you, this passage bothers me. It just does not seem that God's punishment fits the crime. What I've come to realize is that it's not so much what Moses did as what he said. What we have here is the fatal use of the first person pronoun. He says to the people, listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Did you hear it? We, meaning Moses and Aaron, we bring you water out of the rock. Moses totally leaves God out of the equation. You know, our purpose as Presbyterians is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Instead, what Moses does is he elevates himself saying, well, I guess I'm going to have to give you people some water. And so we have this angry Moses saying, you want water? I'll give you water. Bang, bang, there's your water. And God says, sorry, Moses, that's, that's stepping over the line. Jesus would say thousands of years later, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so now, picture the scene. Here's old man Moses standing on top of Mount Nebo, 40 miles away from his dream. Down below, the people are getting ready to enter into the land that God has especially prepared for them. Inside, Moses wants to go. Everything inside of him wants to go. He yearns to see that land. He yearns to walk on that fertile soil. He came this close. But you know the old saying, close only counts in horseshoes, but not in promised lands, not entered. Now, as I close, this sad scene can still give us hope and inspiration for our lives. Because you know what it tells me? It tells me that arguably the greatest figure in the Bible next to Jesus Christ 
was a flawed, fallible human being, just like you and just like me. Think about it. Aside from Jesus, there's really no other figure in human history that has had as significant an impact on Western civilization than that of Moses. The law that he came down with from Mount Sinai is still the basis of our ethics. The nation of Israel exists today because Moses led them there. I think the world would have been a far different place if that baby had died in the waters of the Nile River. And so what that tells me is that we don't have to have our act all together before God can use us. We don't have to be perfect before God can use us. We all have faults. We all have failures. We all have handicaps. But guess what? God can use each and every one of us. So friends, come to God this morning just as you are. Bring him your broken dreams, your shattered hopes, flaws, weaknesses, and promised lands not entered. We can bring God all that pain because God has a plan for using your life and my life, such as it is, for his glory. And yes, you can write on that tombstone, servant of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, there are many ways in which we could be remembered. So help us to make the commitment that matters most in life to you. Give us the desire to be your servants, to live like Jesus lived and to love like Jesus loved. Too often, what we do is we put a do not disturb sign on our hearts. Instead, oh God, give us hearts that want to serve you freely, gratefully, and faithfully. God, all of us yearn to have you say to us one day, whenever that time may be, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so may we start living our lives like that right here and right now in a way that honors you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.